It was in 1869 that DNA was discovered by Swiss researcher Friedrich Miescher. Since then, the more we learn about it, the more fascinated we are by it. So my question for us today, can DNA, can genetics, can the information that is inside each and every one of us provide evidence or even potentially a timeline that demonstrates the truth of the biblical worldview? Do our genetics start with Adam and Eve? So basically, the people who reject this data have just stuck their head in the ground and they just don't want to hear it. We're going to talk about mitochondrial Eve, Y chromosome Adam, population bottlenecks, designed variants within the genome, the Babel dispersion, ape to man refuted, and genetic entropy. Google mitochondrial Eve, you'll find out that the whole world, including the scientific world, thinks that all of the human beings on this planet come from one woman. The original Y chromosome was about 7,500 years ago. To, to be anywhere near 6,000 speaks loud and clear of a recent and solitary Adam and Eve. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word the truth of creation and why it matters to you. Do our genetics start with Adam and Eve? In order to answer that question, I'm going to need somebody a lot smarter than me to give me some help, okay? Our guest today was a professor at Cornell University and is the inventor of the gene gun. He's the founder and former president of Logos Research Associates, and he has a fascinating story. And he's truly brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Dr. John Sanford. Dr. Sanford, welcome to the Creation Today Show. Thank you very much. I, I, I love your story because you were not always a believer in Christ. Uh, can you give us a quick summary of your story? A quick uh, summary. I remember being a little child and looking up at the blue sky through the uh, leaves of our tree and having a God moment. I, I remember several God moments when I was just a child. By the time I was in high school, I loved science. And I was being taught that science is antithetical to God. And so um, I became an atheist in high school. And um, I was a, a rabid atheist in college. And uh, along the way, a number of people touched me in a way that um, made me rethink. And the most important one was my wife. And so um, we, neither one of us were saved uh, when we got married, but we, were, we really loved each other. But that started to break down about 10, mar 10 years into our marriage. And um, my wife had common sense to go to church for the first time, she'd never been in a church her whole life. And um, anyway, uh, she, she, I started to tag along with her, just kind of out of curiosity. We both fell in love with Jesus. It, it was really a very beautiful road that we traveled on. And um, things were working much better. Um, but I hadn't been saved yet. So I was baptized. Uh, 
when I was 39. And uh, we were baptized together. And for me, um, I, um, pastor said, do you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I, our little liberal church said, like to talk about um, Jesus as our Savior. But when he said, Put, will you submit to Jesus for the rest of your life? Um, my my kind of my inner brain just exploded. I thought, <laughs> what? What am I getting into? <laughs> and um, he said, do you, do you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I like about took me about one second and I said, yes. And um, he he said, and then he dunked me. <laughs> and when I came out of the water, I was radically changed. It's just amazing. And um, so I, my wife and I have been growing ever since. Um, but the first 10 years after baptism, I was embracing things of church, the things of God. But um, I didn't know what to do with evolution because I had been evolutionist all my life. And I didn't think there was any other possible choice. So I'm thinking, well, it must be some way to fit evolution into, the, into this story. And um, 10 years later, I, I, I've talked to many creationists who have um, had the similar experience. They get saved and then they don't know what to do with their, um, their, their background of evolution is true. And they all do, it's all this, for all of them, they grow through it. They break through the barrier. Usually it takes a couple of years and then they and then they go with it, fully surrendering to Christ and to scripture. Wow. So that happened to me. And I remember sitting in the living room with a pile of evolution books and a pile of creation books. And <laughs> I thought they're both really, they have both have really good sound positions and like that. But, but these guys are my enemy, and these guys are my brethren. And I thought, well, I guess this isn't such a hard decision. And so again, it was a a God moment, and it uh, it catapulted me into the creation movement. Wow, that is amazing. Is it? it? It is hard for some people when you've been brought up with what you think is science, because evolution is presented as well. This is science. It, is that is that kind of the where the crux of the ah? How can I let go of because you're thinking it's it's science. It feels like I'm letting go of science. Is that kind of where it, it the 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 struggle is? Yes, I mean basically we we are deceived by the world, and we need to break through it. And um, God helps us, but we need to uh, be part of the formula. And um, and so it is uh, it is difficult. And but. As soon as I made that decision, um, I knew it was the right one. And, it, and the first thing I thought of was, well, what can I do? And then I thought, well, maybe I could do something with genetics. And so I started to think about that. And um, actually, it was really interesting because I started to look, rethink the evolutionary um, heroes of the day. And what I saw was, that a lot of the founders of neo-Darwinian theory were really hotshot intellectuals 
but they actually all expressed uncertainty that they had could fully explain what's happening. And one of the things that I learned was that they, one of the most famous ones, Mueller, said if, if, if human beings have more than one mutation per person per generation, evolution cannot work, we are all on our way down. From one wow. mutation, because one mutation adds to another, adds every generation you have more and more mutations. He said that would be deadly. And so, uh, and then many high level scientists who are, who, are, who built the Darwinian um, idea, not the idea, but really the science, what they considered the science, all had places in their life where they, it didn't make sense or where they were just simply an error. Fisher was a really famous, he was the first one to create what was called the Neo-Darwinian synthesis really brought science to it. Darwin didn't bring science, he brought philosophy to it. So like 50 years later, uh, Fisher brought what he thought was the science. And my, one of my colleagues, uh, not so many years ago, and I looked at his work and discovered that it was had a huge flaw, huge, huge flaw. And when we corrected it, it, it meant not, Fisher said, the, the, the the theorem that he presented was um, ensured that everything would always keep evolving upward. And when we corrected his mathematical error, everything goes down. Wow. We completely reversed Fisher. And he's probably one of the most famous scientists ever. And he was, and for decades, people worshiped him, but never actually understood what he was saying. And he was ignoring his own. He he glossed over something that was essential. And um, so we just a few years ago we we published that paper and it was widely read. Maybe thirty thousand scientists looked at it. Um, so yeah, so it's been a really interesting journey. No doubt. By the way, you guys have to check out the pa that paper and, and his other works, Dr. Dr. Sanford's works, are available. If you go to Logos Research uh, and Associates, if you go to their website, I think, Kent, do you have a, yeah, they go, go, to their, go to their website, logosresearchassociates.org, uh, and check that out. And you can, you can actually see their pa his papers and his works right there. Go under Dr. John Sanford and, uh, and look at his work. So, Dr. Sanford, thank you. Uh, for, for literally decades of work now that you've spent um, coming into and helping present evidence for, for even young earth creation, which is, which is what I want to get into. Be before we do that, though, since you're a geneticist, I got to ask you this. When it comes to the origin of life, it seems to me like uh, there's either the divine creation account, uh, there's the lightning striking the primordial soup idea that used to be taught, and then more recently, there's the panspermia or like, you know, aliens seeded life on planet Earth. And so life just came from somewhere else. So we pushed the problem further away. I don't know if there's any others, but as a geneticist, how do you see the options when it comes to the origin of life on Earth? So um, if people had, well, more and more people actually understand that life is unbelievably intricate. Uh, it's information systems on top of information systems, on top of information systems. It's like an operating system, but uh, as Bill Gates says, 
uh, a cell is much more sophisticated than our best computers. And when you start to realize that you and you it's just totally clear that life cannot arise spontaneously. And to get life kickstart life, you need so many miracles to happen all at the same time, same place, same moment. And so it's um it's more it's it's laughable, except people keep sweeping it under the rug. There are more and more actually evolutionists who are acknowledging this 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 could only be by design. I can't see how this could arise just by trial and error. Had to be divinely created, which is exactly what this says. I love it. A scientist's opinion. You got it right there, guys. Go no further. Actually, just all he's doing is pointing to the Word of God. So I love that. Well, Dr. Sanford, I've got my pen. I got my paper. Actually, I got a whole bunch of them because of how smart you are. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go here. Um, do genetics. You wrote the book Genetic Entropy, uh, showing that we are going downhill. But if you actually go backwards, it, it I want to know, does this really show us a, 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 a divine origin account with Adam and Eve? Can we see that in every single one of our cells? Is that what this is pointing us to? Can you take us on that journey? Yes. And actually, we're going to talk about that. So um, it's we're talking about layer and layer of information. There's also layer upon layer of evidence, and that's really exciting. And so what we learn is that the Bible is, in fact, a reliable historical resource and has science in it. In fact, we're going to show that um, the, the patriarchs were living to be, you know, in the 900s, which makes perfect sense if you realize that this was uh, shortly after the fall and mutations had not yet been uh, accumulated. And so those first patriarchs were, um, it seems ridiculous until we realize what we're saying. Uh, of course, they were 100 years old. If they hadn't been a fall, they'd still be alive today. So, um, so yeah, so that's, we're going to see that not only does that curve show that the patriarchs went uh, underwent a what's called a biological decay curve where everything is sloping downward in a curve more moving toward extinction uh, not only is that true but we can like you said look backwards because if you have if if mutations are accumulating and you look backwards there had to be some point where there were no mutations and that's what takes us right back to Adam and Eve no mutations until the fall to my uh, to my YouTube and Facebook audience and to the podcast and television audience, thank you guys for joining us today. This really is going to be a great journey. Uh, I think you're going to truly enjoy the, the concepts and the information, the science that's presented that points us to the Bible. To my partners on here, love you guys. You guys are amazing. Uh, thank you guys for making and allowing what we do every week to, to take this information around the world possible. Uh, it, it truly is amazing. I can't wait to update you guys later in a, in a couple of weeks on some of the things we've been working on and, uh, and show you some other really cool stuff. But uh, thank you guys for joining me today. We appreciate it. Uh, I begin this with uh, this title, Good Science Affirms Scripture. And for the last 20-some um, years that I've been a creationist scientist, um, I've discovered, and my colleagues like Rob Carter and many other scientists, is that 
we believe this is true. Good science affirms scripture. Um, it make a great title for a book. And uh, in the meantime, I encourage everyone to think along these lines. There is bad science that promotes evolution, but the good science continuously affirms scripture. So Adam and Eve have been, you know, uh, trashed for hundreds of years, not thousands of years, but a few hundred years. Uh, and now science, good science, is restoring Adam and Eve. Okay, so um, this work was uh, uh, in close connection with Dr. Robert Carter, who's um, an awesome geneticist in his own right. And um, so I give him most of the credit. I, I'm more of a uh, cheerleader than a, than a lab scientist. Um, so he has worked with me uh, with my little foundation, Feed My Sheep Foundation. And so he contributed to this PowerPoint, these, this work. And also Dr. Wes Brewer, who's a, a world uh, expert in numerical simulation, which is a way of analyzing complex things. Dr. John Baumgartner, which is one of the top creation scientists in the world. Dr. Franzine Smith, who has helped me for years on, on our work and others. So I really believe in teams. And um, we, ha we had a great team for this particular a line of research. So um, this is this is information you we can you can look at, and again it's at the logos. We can re abbreviate logosresearchassociates.org by just saying logosra.org. It's not quite such a mouthful. And so we have um, this in several books. Um, so. There are new attacks against Adam and Eve, even while we're discovering evidence that, that show that Adam and Eve are, are real people. The BioLogos group is, remains hostile to um, creation. And so they, they're Christian, I think, um, but they um, don't seem to be prepared to believe um, and obey the Lord on some of these issues. Um, so these are just three three scientists who have kind of um, abandoned ship, and um, William Craig especially was really well known as an ID proponent and um, uh, a Christian. Uh, but now he's he has rejected. Uh, he's he's bought into full blown evolutionists. It's really sad to see really smart people get so smart that they think they're smarter than God. And that's wow. sad. So um, what's at stake? Why are we talking about Adam and Eve? I mean, they lived, maybe they lived in the past, maybe they didn't, who knows? What does it matter? Number one, is God good? If God is good, then why is there evil in death? These are profound, these are not tangential Christian concerns, these are foundational. Um, is scripture trustworthy? People who are rejecting scripture right from the get-go in the Bible, um, how are they going to trust the other parts of the Bible? How are they going to believe in the return of Christ? So are we special? If we Are we just really clever chimpanzees? Or are we made in the image of God? These are 
incredibly important. I heard someone say to me the other day, well, creation is just a side issue, maybe not a not a primary or secondary, it's a third level. No, people lose their faith over and over and over again because they read Genesis and they're told there's no way that can be true. It's all just stupid lies. So it's hugely important. Uh, the reason for the cross, if there hadn't been a fall, if there hadn't been Adam and Eve, there wouldn't have been a need for a cross. So um, this, is, this is fundamental. And then lastly, a lot of people, because they don't believe Genesis, they don't believe Revelation, and they reject heaven. It's incredibly important that we believe the reality of heaven. So three types of evidence we're going to talk about in terms of affirming literal Adam and Eve, scripture, history, and genetics. First two briefly, and the third one, and delve into the genetics. So let's just start out with evidence from scripture. This, this Genesis and creation and the fall and the flood and all those things are pivotal and there's evidence for them. And so, um, for example, in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament authors extensively quote Genesis as history, especially Genesis 1 through 11. So, you know, this is, this is foundational and it's... Um, and there's huge geological evidence for a global flood. There's a huge evidence for the fall, which is all the evil in the world. They specifically speak of the fall, the serpent, Adam, Eve. These are all mentioned by, by New Testament authors. They speak of the fall, the serpent, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Seth, Enoch, the flood, and Noah. So obviously the New Testament authors, including the ones that are in red, so these are things coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Obviously, this is very, very important. And the New Testament people were very, very aware of Genesis, and they believed it was true. There are twice as many references to Adam and Eve in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. So if you're really going to be a Christian, you have to embrace the whole story and trust God from beginning yeah. There's two supposed creation conflicts in um, chapter 2, uh, between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. The bottom line is, if you look at it carefully, it's very clear that chapter 1 was about how God created all kinds of plants. And the term that was used was Elohim, which is an expansive view of God Almighty. And then chapter 2 was about Yahweh, so he's now talking about the Lord over us, a personal relationship with, with the Lord. And uh, we see that in the sixth day of chapter two, uh, it says that there was no suitable garden yet for Adam. So God planted a special garden for them, for domestic plants and animals. So there's a big difference between the day three, when all types of plants were created, and the garden that was specifically made for Adam and his family. Okay, so this is, a, this is a slide that some of you have seen, I hope, uh, and it's stunning because it's data drawn directly from the Bible. So some of you probably wonder why on earth these genealogies matter, and they matter because they're history, and what we see is that the history shows 
that things are not, that mankind is not evolving. We're evolving in the sense we have more technology and we have um, better nutrition. But basically, apart from those artificial conditions, uh, mankind is declining rapidly due to accumulation of mutations. Every generation is more mutant than the last one. You are more mutant than your parents and your children are going to be more mutant than you. Sorry to tell you that, but that is the reality. We are all dying. So Noah lived to be 950 years old. The first nine patriarchs before him were about the same age. So um, that's pretty interesting. Noah lived to be 950. Did something special happen when uh, with Noah? Well, let's see, that was a small thing called the flood. And so Noah um, lived to be 950. And so let's look at the, the axes. On the left, we see lifespans in years. And on the bottom, we have generations since Noah. So we can draw a curve based upon data points using this graph. Okay, so Noah, 950, Shem, 600, poor guy, only lived to be 600. Um, Abraham, I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting, you can see that all the dots are different people, right? And you can see that some of the dots I'm putting in red because they're key players in the Bible. So Abraham lives to be 175, and then Moses lives to be 120, and then King David lives to be 70, which is leverage like approximately the life expectancy of today. And then in the time of Jesus, the average life expectancy, including wars and disease, was about 45 years. So this curve is stunning because it shows that not only is there a decline in longevity, that it's very, very scientifically laid out. It's very, and this is not written by a person. This is written by different people in the Bible. But they, but, and so they're not like they fudged this. You have to go through and actually find these people, find out when when they were born and when they died to figure out how old they are. But when you do that, and we've done that, and you can do that at LogosRA. Uh, if you go to logosra.org, um, you have we have all the data, so you can look at who lived exactly when and where. Point is, this is a biological decay curve. It's clearly headed down, not up. It slows down more recently. More recently, people are living a little longer. Is that because this has been reversed? No, it just means that we have um, artificial things like uh, pharmaceuticals and um, better nutrition and all those things. So, but that's just a little bleep. That's, that's but. Uh, that's not genetic. This what we're seeing here is genetic decay, and uh, we'll be seeing that more. You can make this curve yourself if you want because it's so fascinating, and you can pull it out of the Bible. And sure enough, it, you'll see what we're seeing here. Notice we're using generations. It's more, it's more useful to get a better curve if you count by generations rather than by year, because people's year yearly the yearly thing is. It's an off, off kilter. Historical evidence. Okay, there's a lot of history here. Historically, who has believed Adam? A lot of people think, oh, that's just a bunch of little group of uh, 
stupid Jewish people who were believing anything. Let's just yeah. consider who has uh, believed in a literal Adam. Well, the ancient Jews, yes, many are Orthodox Jews also. The authors of the New Testament, including Jesus, say they believe in Adam. Early church fathers believed in Adam. The Catholic Church and all the popes still agree that they believe in Adam. The Protestant Church, Luther, Calvin, and all those guys, they all believed in Adam. The greatest evangelists believed in Adam. Today, most of Bible-believing Christians still believe in Adam. And uh, interestingly, um, most Orthodox Muslims believe in Adam. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, it's And so historically, Adam has been important since ancient times. And, and Adam is still important, except that he's systematically being attacked by people who don't want to believe in him. And so let's just think about this. Why would we, as a Christian, want to deny Adam? Why would we do that? And we're called by God to believe him and obey him. And so if we are unbelievers, we can't assume we're going to heaven. And if you are, have unbelief toward in the book of Genesis, why are you going to believe the rest of the Bible? And so this idea of submitting to Christ and believing him, that's enough. If, apart from science, just knowing. God and his script and scripture, we should know and, and honor him. Okay, today there may be half, a, if you figure out how many billion people are in the world who are Christian and how many billion people are um, Muslim, it amounts to more than half of humanity believes in Adam. So people who are brushing Adam aside, that's just like a, that, that's, that's children's stories. No, this is, this is more than half of humanity embraces this. Okay, biblical genealogies from Adam. Well, let's see, Adam was the first generation, right? That's Genesis 2. Abraham, 21 generations later. David, 34 generations later. Jesus, 77 generations from the beginning to Christ. These numbers are very systematic and very consistent. They are literal genealogies. There's no reason to question the genealogies here. And so we know basically um, all of Jesus's uh, ancestors, all the way back to Adam. That's pretty cool. And, and by the way, Dr. John, I know some people use the argument, well, they might have skipped somebody, so we don't really know <laughs> how old it is and the times. And, and that's what I find interesting is I go, look, the, the reality is, it comes with dates as well. So that whole argument of if they skipped somebody goes, goes to pot because they give us the dates. Adam was 130, Seth was 105, Enos was 90, and the dates are right there. So if you, if you, that's another argument that you can just kind of wash aside that doesn't yes. fit because we've got this data from Scripture. Yeah. So. It's, it's stunning. Uh, by God's grace, he's given us so much evidence. And so the generations and the, and the genealogies are, are wonderfully um, preserved in the Bible. And so why would a Christian want to denigrate that? 
um, throughout the world, people honor their genealogies, except till now. So of yeah. course we trust them. And um, so um, many modern genealogies go back to Adam. Not, a lot of people don't know this, but there are many people in Europe who are descended from Charlemagne. And Charlemagne had a genealogy that went all the way back to Christ. Wow. And so there are people who have genealogies that go back to Christ. That's stunning. I just think that's that so exciting. And it turns out that that's not just in Europe. The Muslims, um, well, I, it says 150 generations because approximately, if we assume Jesus was the 77th generation, then we've continued to have generations. So about 150 generations fits with both the Europeans and the Arabs. And the Arabs go all the way back to Ishmael and then back to Adam. And so, um, and so people are throwing out all this wonderful heritage and history just because they're, well, actually, let's save it for later. Why do people reject what is obviously true? And what question. Their, their faith and their hope in heaven relies upon it, and yet they say that stuff doesn't matter. Of course it matters. That's why God wrote it down for us. So um, now we're going to jump into genetics. Okay, point is, it's not just genetics, but genetics is, you know, by God's grace, he's giving us evidence. Why? Because the times are so evil, and because there's so many bad things happening, he's saying, look, this is kind of hard for you guys, you Christians. I'm going to give you a a pass, and I'm, even though you should believe me by faith, I'm going to give you a bunch of evidence that will fortify your faith. Okay, so I love that point. Seven genetic evidences supporting a literal Adam and Eve. Are you, I hope you're all waiting. I, this is going to take two or three hours. I, I hope, hope you don't mind. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. Not. Maybe. <laughs> so we're going to talk about mitochondrial Eve, Y chromosome Adam, population bottlenecks, designed variants within the genome, the Babel dispersion, ape to man refuted, and genetic entropy. Okay, so hang on. Here we go. Evidence number one, mitochondrial Eve. Google mitochondrial Eve. You'll find out that the whole world, including the scientific world, thinks that all of the human beings on this planet come from one woman, but they say, but it's not Eve. Yes, yes, <laughs> we do have evidence that there's a single woman who gave rise to all the mitochondria on the planet, but don't think it's Eve. So they originally started calling her mitochondrial Eve, and later they decided to just call her the, you know, the, the first, or the, the, they used a term for it, I can't think of it, but they they uh, they tried to get rid of Eve. Now they don't use that term anymore because it's so clear that there's only one way, only one woman could give rise to all of humanity, and that would be by literal Eve. She is called by everybody the mother of us all, and all our mitochondrial chromosomes come from one woman. Is that like sort of interesting? Maybe. I think so. I mean, especially in light when we contrast it with evolution, which says no, it's populations that evolved over time, and so we wouldn't have come from one, you know, ape 
ancestor that ended up evolving, which is what William Lane Craig is buying into now, it, it seems like the evidence, you're right, goes right to one woman versus a population of women. Right. So basically, the people who reject this data are basically have just, you know, st stuck their head in the ground and, and they just don't want to hear it. It, it has to do with um, deliberately trying to undermine God and God's people. And so this is very serious business. But what's interesting is God got it to us in spite of everybody, the evolutionists desire to suppress this. Okay, evidence, uh, this is, we're talking a little bit about Eve's mitochondrial DNA consensus sequence. That's a mouthful. A consensus sequence means that, um, let's suppose you have a thousand people. Let's suppose then you've given them all the same book and then you, you come in and you change letters here, there, and everywhere. Because everybody has their own specific changes, you can just go through and see that for that given first letter, first alphabet letter of the chromosome, um, that is only one person in the whole group is going to have that misspelling or that mutation. And then, and then you can go with the, look at the next letter, and you'll see again that only one or two people have that. And so you can basically recognize the mutations in that way. And so then you just can erase those few letters and you have the original consensus sequence. That's what they call it. And so um, this is a paper by Rob Carter and uh, we he did most of the work, frankly, but we were co-authors, but then we decided it would never get published with both of us. So we just have Rob Carter here and um, we just call it mitochondrial diversity within modern human populations. So we didn't want to say Eve because we would knew that in the mainstream journals they would not tolerate a paper like that. But it's just it's just stunning, and um, this is one way of so. So Rob looked at all like a, I think eight hundred women from all over the world to kind of find out uh, what where the consensus would be, and then we. Um, we were able to find the red dot there is the mitochondrial consensus sequence. Wow. Now, because there have been thousands of years between now and Eve, you'll see that all of the blue dots are the different women who are, and some of them have spread further, but they're all diverging away from the original. So red is the past of Eve, the ancient sequence, and the blue is the modern day people coming from her. And um, what we see is, it's very clear that we are seeing, we, we can go in and we know the sequence. We know her sequence for her mitochondria. We know her genetic DNA. That's the amazing. That most people say never existed, but who clearly is the first woman to give rise to humanity. So amazing. Here we have the rings. The rings mean uh, 50 mutations. So you'll see within that ring, most of these um, less than 50 mutations have accumulated within the first ring. And then there are people further out who have more mutations. We're all, we're all mutating and we all, different parts of our chromosomes are mutating. But uh, what we see is this dispersion 
coming out of the original Eve. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm in Florida, which is uh, just south of Alabama, and I see some of those dots way out there with a whole lot of mutations, Dr. Sanford. I think, I think I've met some of them up in Alabama. <laughs> How long ago did Eve live? Well, we found that on average, uh, the typical uh, person who's come from Eve has 21 mutations different from Eve. Pretty small number, really, although that chromosome is quite small. So basically, we, we approximately the mutation rate uh, for the, that chromosome, the mitochondrial chromosome, 0.1 per generation. So that's rough, roughly how many mutations per generation. So we're getting new mutations every generation. So we just include, we just combine 21 accumulated mutations with the rate of 0.1 and we get 210 generations since Eve. And since a generation is about 25 years long, we get a, um, a time frame for Eve. The time frame is 5,250 years ago. Very close to 6,000 years is the time since Eve and how many mutations have accumulated within people since Eve. Is that stunning? It I is because genetically, mitochondrial DNA that is is saying there seems to be a recent ancestor in our genetics, and it's fitting more the biblical timeline than anything even close to an evolutionary or old Earth creation timeline. Right, and so and so basically, um, this means that um, systems are coming are break, breaking down. So this. The consensus sequence would be the perfect sequence, the uh, first sequence, all the rest, we just keep getting more and more mutations. So now let's take a look at evidence two, which is Y chromosome atom, okay? So this is a bigger chromosome, and but we're gonna do the same type of analysis. So you can Google Y chromosome atom, and what does it say? It says that all Y chromosomes come from one man. What's the chances of that? Even if uh, all the uh, even if Eve was filled with a world of similar women, and they all died, and she just happened to stay there, how then would there be just one man? It's like it's like it's it's coming from God. I mean, it's it God is showing us the things that most people don't want to see because they don't want God. We now have an approximation of the Y chromosome sequence and its consensus. And what we see is very little variation, which means it's young, like you say. So Adam was recent. And so it's spread out more because it's a bigger chromosome. Each ring now is 200 um, mutations. And um, the diagram is just like Eve. It's just that it's more diverse because it's a bigger chromosome. And so, but basically the original sequence is in the middle, the red spot, that person is long gone, but the blue people are the descendants and they are all diverging away from the first one. And so it's like stunning. So how long ago did Adam Lee live? Um, people have claimed, evolutionists have claimed that it was between 57,000 years and 340,000 years. That's a big, uh, big gap and also a long time frame. 
But uh, when we did our research, um, the average accumulation was about 300 mutations per Y chromosome. And if we assume, uh, if we get, know the rate, uh, it's about one mutation per generation. So to get 300 mutations would be equivalent to getting about 300 generations. So if we multiply by 25, because that's the generational time, what we find is that the original Y chromosome was about 7,500 years ago, wow. about 6,000. Now, these are rough numbers. All of these are approximate. And if you do bigger studies, you might get more. But you'll find that uh, to, to be anywhere near 6,000 speaks loud and clear of a recent and solitary Adam and Eve. So when William Lane Craig, uh, who's putting it here, John Pinky's throwing this in here, he says William Lane Craig is saying somewhere around 750,000 years ago, he's off by, by, by an order of, of, of 10. I mean, that's it's way off from what the genetics is showing us today. And, and what he's a philosopher. What, what knowledge is he basing this on? And, and why would he, you know, one of the things that uh, I say over and over again uh, is the issue is who is your authority? You can honor God or you can honor man. Who do you turn to for what you trust in? And what the world wants mostly is to put their trust in the latest, you know, movie star or president or whatever. Uh, and um, but Christians, we should not be thinking that way. We should be thinking, well, if I had to choose between a fancy dancy professor who's famous and Jesus Christ, I don't think it's going to be a very hard decision. And so, um, and so it has to do again with the issue of belief versus unbelief. And those who do not believe are um, offending the Lord in the, in the most possible, in the most horrific way. And so why, why do Christians question what is so clearly presented in scripture? It's, it's kind of mind boggling. So I did cool. have a, uh, I, uh, yeah, factor of 100, Andrew. Thank you. Off, William Lane Craig off uh, by a factor of 100. Uh, Dr. Sanford, I got to let social media go, but I want to answer a couple questions from them real quick. Um, the idea that Charlemagne goes back to Christ since Christ had no offspring, is that going back to mother, uh, Mary or Joseph who did continue to have children? Is that kind of how they go back to, quote, Christ is going to actually you know, uh, the, the brother of Jesus? The brother of Jesus is uh, what the, the genealogies of Charlemagne and other kings of Europe, um, they, they speak of, I think it was James. James, okay. James, the brother, the brother of Jesus, yeah. Uh, and so, um, uh, but he, the lineage was through, I mean, we don't know the genome of Jesus, but. Uh, right. But Adam, but the, Joseph and Mary, I think we don't have their sequence, but we know that their their generations, their genealogies are well, very, very well um, preserved. 
That is amazing. Listen, social, YouTube and Facebook, I hate to do this. I got to let you guys go and my television audience. Before you go, I want to I leave you with a thought and then make sure you guys go to Dr. Sanford's website. Uh, Philippians chapter uh, number one, verses nine through 11 says this, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And that's what we're praying for you, even with this information that you may approve all things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I got to tell you guys, that is our prayer for you, that you not only learn this information, be discerning about it, and then go help others be discerning and learn this truth. So Thank you guys for taking time with us. If you want to catch the rest of the conversation, we're going to continue it over at creationtoday.org. You can go over to creationtoday.org and uh, be a partner of us and, uh, and just join with the rest of us that are going to keep uh, keep learning here with Dr. Sanford. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Looking forward to a, a great show next week with my friend Nate Loper as we talk about uh, Egypt. What can we learn about Egypt? What's the what's the truth about, uh, about what's going on over there in Egypt and what it actually teaches us uh, from its own archaeology. So we're doing it with genetics here. Pretty Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Egypt archaeology and what it, it points to. So uh, truly, truly fascinating. Uh, thank you, guys. Look forward to seeing you next week right here at noon.